Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name's your boy, JB, and I have only read seven and a half of these ding-dang books. With me today, though, is my good pal, Pete, who's read all of the books. Pete, how you doing? Doing good, loving the energy you're bringing to the mic. You know, it's been a while, just reminded, absolutely insane that you guys are reading these books. We've been making this podcast for a few years. Just what a wild ride, love and life. It is a wild ride indeed. With us additionally is our, you know, our, our co-captain, our editor-in-chief, whatever other titles we want to give them. That's right, it's AJ Fillery. Hello, I'm here. That's not how you say it, but that's fine. Um, the energy today is like we're a fucking a drive time morning show. That's exactly, how it's exactly Put, what I've been going for. Am I right, fellas? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good effect. And last but certainly not least, it is, of course, our stalwart fourth companion, India Jones. What a stalwart. Just the reliable, always there for you. Thank you. I'm actually, that is like the least true of anybody on this podcast. I am the least reliable, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment. Let's get it going. All right. Before we get into it today, I'm going to ask, as I always do, I'm going to ask each of our hosts the same question. Get a quick, get a quick gut check. Pete, you look a little confused. This is a new bit. What's your favorite coffee shop pastry? Okay. No, I love this little warm up. Tough thing, favorite coffee pastry. Um, I feel like I'd probably just choose a donut. I mean, I just love donuts. Um, I don't eat a lot of them here. And uh, I feel like that's, I don't need to complicate things. You know, lots of great donuts out there. I like that. I like that a lot. AJ? Yeah, I'm a big, also also a donut, but specifically a glazed donut. All right, Mm. I'm cutting back in. I'm going hard into muffins. I just remembered I love poppy seed muffins. If this has a poppy seed in it, I will eat it. And you cannot talk me out of it. So I'm changing to muffins. Yeah. And I know this is a a fairly innocuous question, Josh, asking your favorite coffee pastry. But this is like also for sure something that would be on a drive time, like multiple host morning shows. Oh, I know. Yeah. Let us know what your favorite coffee pastry is. You can call us here. Call us in. (laughs) 555-6969. <laughs> the perfect <laughs> phone number. Yeah. Uh, also, the best donut flavor is objectively sour cream donuts. I Ooh, will not yeah. be fielding further questions. But no, you're right. My favorite coffee pastry. Uh, I'm stalling. But I've been asked India because she's having a quick mic issue. We'll get to her in a second. My favorite is a cheese Danish, but hmm. specifically like homemade cheese Danishes. There's a shop near me that does them, and the the cheese is fucking incredible. That rules. Yeah, it's got to be something. Like, I, I think I'm specifically glazed because it has to be something that's like super sweet oh yeah that's yeah you gotta dunk it in your coffee you gotta dunk it in the coffee you gotta use the coffee to wash the patina of sugar off you the rest of your mouth you know what i'm talking about you you i didn't know you could do that so well no no pete's not doing accents (laughs) (laughs) Pete's not doing them if i just started doing a really really uh italian one if i I did once in a, you ever play D&D? Mm-hmm. Again, stalling for time for India. You ever play D&D and just sort of like enter a fever dream and become a character voice you're doing and then you can never recreate it? Yes. Yes. Actually. In fact, one time I did an NPC and did a whole like Fargo accent. Oh my God, um, that's incredible. And just never, I couldn't, I can never do it again. But for a yeah. whole session, I was just, just crushing it. 
Yeah, yeah, I was a I was a 1930s Philadelphia news reporter once. Just like that mm. was the, like <laughs> someone inhabited my body with their soul, and I became that person for the wow. entire. I would just interject with questions in that voice, and I've never been able to do it again. Really good. It's, it's, uh-uh. it's really, really, great. really good. AJ, to answer your question though, I think there'd be le- little repercussions for doing an Italian accent. Um, it seems like that's actually <laughs> totally kosher nowadays. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't think I don't think the internet's going to come for you that one. But let me get this straight though. Don't come for Christopher Columbus, and you know that, oh, all right? <laughs> You're from Philadelphia. You know, do not come. There's a statue of Christopher Columbus down the street from where I live that is boxed up because they're Still afraid it's going to be vandalized. Pr- and there's, there, is, there is an on-duty cop there all day, every day, just sitting in their car next to this boxed-up fucking statue. Okay, it's okay, so I have fucking a, stupid. I have a Columbus story, too. There's a huge... Christopher Columbus Day parade in Baltimore, Maryland every year on the day. And one year, because I'm a band director and I have a band director friend who broke her leg and needed someone to just like walk with her mm. band that knew what they were doing. So I went and did it. And I'm not going to say where I live, but the the my county, they have an Italian association or something. The, you know, the, the blank county Italian association. I love the way you're saying Italian. Yeah, Italian. I don't know why it's coming out that Italian. way. But they had a they had a float in this parade, and I kid you not, it was just like fourteen old dudes in suits, just fucking chiefing cigars through this parade, and that Fuck. was all they they had nothing to throw out, they had nothing to advertise, Ashes. they were just fucking there to hang <laughs> and smoke some stogies. It was wow. incredible. Wow. So so we just fully stalling. We can keep stalling. India's okay, not India's, India's back. back. Go for it. Favorite coffee pastry, India. So glad you. Asked. Asked, actually, it's really funny that you bring this topic up because I just got out of a situationship with somebody that always took me to get breakfast pastries after uh, hanging out. And AJ, can we get a sound effect for um, that? <laughs> <laughs> that was that's what I want. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so I want to say that I really fucking like not. Cinnamon rolls. In fact, I hate them. <gasps> and what I do like is like, I don't know, maybe like a scone of some mm. kind. God, scones are Not so like fun. a chocolate chip one, but like no. maybe like a lemon blueberry or something. Mm. Or a muffin. Actually, not a muffin. Definitely like a scone. Something that's not super sweet, but like a little bit sweet. Yeah. I, I like I make a cinnamon chip scone sometimes when mm. I have a Sunday and I'm bored. Oh, yeah. fucking incredible. Yeah. So or like an almond croissant. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. I know I just said the the stuff you're, you're eating with your coffee should be super sweet, but I fully agree, India, with a scone, like just like some sort of like fruity scone with coffee is, is just so good. Something about how dry a scone is and then you're exactly. drinking coffee. The, the thing I like about it is the dryness. I, I don't know yeah. if I want the sweet at all. Like turn my mouth into a desert. Let me drink the coffee Correct. and well, just let see, me okay. get the day right. But I think but I think with with the scone and then with also like, you know, the sweet glazed donut or whatever, the coffee is serving the same purpose of washing whatever the pastry is a doing out cleanser. of your mouth in a really pleasant way. Mm. In yeah. fact, I kind of want coffee now and I hate coffee. But anyway, this was a great opener, by the way, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I thought of it because I took a sip of coffee right before talking. And don't forget to send us your Instagram replies on our Instagram. Uh, you make sure you hashtag JB's 
BJ. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, we're good. All right. My my, my immediate my immediate what thought was for? Josh Baker's <laughs> breakfast jam. That's not bad. Yeah, yes, there it is. Breakfast jam. There we go, Pete. Ooh, my goodness, you guys are on a roll this morning. Seven thirty. Who? <laughs> also, for the record. Shout out to my mom. What up? Mother's Day. Love oh. you. Best mom. I thought oh, you yeah. Mother's oh, Day. Fuck if that. you have a mother that you have a good relationship with, go give him a big old smooch and a hug today. And if you don't, fuck her. You don't need her in your life. Unless she's <laughs> tragically out of your life, in which case, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. Really swerving all over the place. Oh, Josh. my God. We literally... <laughs> way that we just made some turn <laughs> my neck hurts from the whiplash <laughs> okay um, we're gonna move on to the chapter now chapter nine gaz the punch man considers the strange pattern his wife is making out of stones in the yard he thinks to kill her soon but will instead find another victim tonight to spare her for a time Barathol has one interaction with a middle manager and becomes a libertarian. Together with Mallet, he plans how to break into the blacksmithing trade, legally or otherwise. At a sketchy estate filled with weirdos, Scorch and Left become house guards of a mysterious noblewoman. They rope Torvald into the scheme, though he has his suspicions. There's a great bit with Griva worms and some weird medicine. Ivermectin, am I right, ladies? Marilio heads to Stani's dueling school to sell his services. Before being officially hired, word of Harlow's disappearance reaches them. Marilio offers his aid. Snow discreetly travels to the site of his attack on Harlow to find the body gone. He can't accept that he did something wrong, and he convinces himself Harlow is setting him up. Gorlas leaves Chalice alone with his fellow council members while he visits his new mine. This dude's either a cuck or not into woman, it's quite ambiguous. There's some stuff. Chalice thinks on how the night may go and can't make her mind up on what she would prefer to happen. Solara works her charms on Duiker to make him escort her to the Phoenix Inn, where Cutter and Kruppa are catching up. Gorlos gets filled in on a whole bunch of exposition by some unnamed workmaster. It clearly is setting up the next scene. What do you know? A scene in the mining camp featuring Harlow. He has flourished as a mole, getting into holes too small for others and making sure they're safe to excavate. On one trip recently, he received ancient tools from a Talani mass stuck in a cave with no legs. He promises to return. Everyone wants to hear about Solara's past. Cutter gets super embarrassed. The woman is crushing it. Chalice gets a little tipsy at dinner where Orr angrily leaves. Chardon, the other council member, warns her that Orr is a dangerous man. He expresses his desire for Chalice to leave Gorlas and experience real freedom, instead of being an object to be owned. It's a real face turn for our boy Chardon. Chalice agrees, they fuck. Steve promises they fuck good. All right, that's chapter nine. 
lots of stuff happening, lots of things getting set up. I'm gonna throw Do it you know first. what I kind of thought during this whole gas section at the start? I'd love to know. It's kind of funny when you think about it. You know? <laughs> Come on. Honestly, <laughs> you guys, no, in fairness, not you guys being like, oh my God, he loves her and she doesn't love him. Meanwhile, he's like, I'm going to kill her. I never said it. He, you all did. You all did. You said they I loved was never like, I, w- I was never on Team Gaz. I, I, you cannot put me in that boat. Anyway. I'm not putting any of you on Team Gaz. I'm just saying you were like, oh, it's so sad. Like, he loves her and she hates him and he's a killer. And I was well, like, no, no it's it funny. Was, well, and then she doesn't I was act, he India, My she team hated was that him. it is not a funny scenario, which I stand by. Yeah, the scenario is is weird because we, we, you know, the first time we get in his head, it feels like or he thinks that she hates him. And then we get into her head and she's like, oh, he really, you know, he should be holding him back, which is like what he thinks. <laughs> this guy sucks. He should. He's better off dead. I would yeah. like him to die yeah. is what she said. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, well, yeah, it, it does suck then. What but are you it's gonna funny. Do? It's funny. It's comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> From a Fuck certain this. point of view, you know. God. All right. <laughs> well, there's Gaz. Uh, I get. I guess he's gonna go punch some more folks tonight. We had. It doesn't come back up again for yeah. the time being. Uh, I want to move. Yes. I just feel like there's like a type of barbarity in actually beating someone to death. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a lot of. Especially with nubs. He doesn't even have real hands. Right. It's, it's so crude. Yeah. It's fucked. It's fucked. Anyway. Uh-huh. I digress. Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. No, it's fine. I don't think there's any much else to be said about Gaz. He's still a very big question mark. So uh-huh. I'm going to move over to Barathol having <laughs> a incredible time with a middle manager, as I've labeled this person. AJ, how did you think this this went for our good man, Barathol? And how do you feel about his decisions afterwards? I think this was hilarious. This scene was 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 so funny. I mean, as far as why, what I think about him just being like, no, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> I think that's also very funny. Uh, yeah. Barathol setting himself up to be the comic foil to the rest of this book in a, in a, in a pretty interesting way, because I don't think Barathol has been played for laughs in the previous book at all. No, for um, sure not. So the fact that he is now just like here with, you know, the ex bridge burners and stuff and is kind of adapting that persona, uh, I think is kind of funny. Yeah. Do you feel as though we're, we're, we're setting up a way for him his storyline to gracefully end or do you think he's got more left in store for us no i think he's gonna make this blacksmith or something and then he's gonna make some crazy fucking weapon because he made mm. wasn't he the one that made fiddler's crossbow or is that somebody else no that was some guy in malice some City. other guy but yeah yeah he gets that during the, the ending of that book yeah but no i i think he's gonna because he hasn't actually been smithing since we met him yeah, accurate. Um, so I think he's going to get back to it and he's just going to make, you know, whatever, whatever these ex bridge burners turn into, the, the, you know, the 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 Getabacus equivalent of bone hunters. Um, he's going to make the, he's going to make them all their cool weapons, I think. Interesting. OK. Or right. he's going to make Kalam a cool weapon and that'll be it. <laughs> and that, oh, that'll, that'll be, be how the their dream. relationship gets uh I don't know, fixed or whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do find it very funny that uh, this weird monopoly situation he has to deal with where it's like (laughs) you either need all of this money or a sponsor. You can't get a sponsor without money. You're too old to become an apprentice to get in a spot. It's just it is very poignant (laughs) for many people trying to find a new career in 2022. It feels like. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely it's definitely commentary for sure. For sure. 
And that's why, folks, if you can't get into that company, make your own. That's your right. Own. Small businesses are the root heart of America. Uh, and or I guess the Malazan Empire could make them open their business, which is presented as an alternative. It is an alternative. And I'm, I was well, and I get why they didn't do it, because the, the bridge burners aren't really retired. They're dead. So they don't want to go back. Yeah, I will just say this is I'm just putting my cards on the table. This is part of the book I love and I love. Just kind of, I would say, the boots on the ground human stories in Darugistan here. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Stoney like, processing this trauma, Harlow goes missing, you know, like, what's going on? Marilios, I love all the Scalara stuff in this chapter, Diker working through his emotions, yeah. you know, Barathol trying to, like, start a business. This is all just like really relatable human drama to me that I just feel like I'm like, yeah, this is like, I don't know. I see can see so much of like life in this a lot more than sometimes than where, you know, you know, some I don't know. I like I like the other stuff with the Andy as well, but it's very different. It's very like, I don't know. That's, I, that's exactly what I was going to say is this type of human interaction versus the Andy speaking to each other with, you know, thousands of years of webs. It is so refreshing to just see these guys talk to each other and interact and there's a purposeful contrast which we can talk about but i, I just wanted to express that i i just love this this is one of my legitimately one of my favorite scenes in the the book i just think it's like just great i just love this scene i love this storyline so mm -hmm. glad to hear it pb so next up india coming to you we see scorch and left the other two very comedic foils in this book <laughs> we see them start working at this sketchy estate my mm. question for you is if you were one of, the, if you were Scorcher left, but you had your brain, at what point do you think you would have been like, actually, I'm going to go during this scene at this weird old estate? I think I might leave either upon finding out that the person that I'm talking to wears a mask and will not show me their face, or when they're like, oh, you're sick and you need to take medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, not take the medicine. And be cool with it, like having no, like nobody just goes up to you and says, oh, you have parasites. So that was disturbing. And that's when I would have left easily. I think that is an incredibly reasonable response. Pete, what about you? Do you think you would have stayed through? I would not stay. But my thought is this. Do you guys think you could con Scorch and Left? Do you guys think if you met them, you would just start conning them? For sure. I, I, I probably could, but that's never my first thought. You know, how can I calm this person? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm just a good person, you know? I, t I too, you're right, India. I too would never do that. I could never con a person. I'm <laughs> too kind and generous. <laughs> <laughs> the books aren't even that long, Josh. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're nice. like fantasy. You like fantasy, Josh. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so I think I think most of us would have escaped this. I do. Anyone have any thoughts on who this noblewoman from the out, you know, from the outskirts could be? No fucking clue. But I will say, Studlock is too close to Spinock, um, and I didn't like oh. reading them <laughs> because it's just I, another name that's too close to a different name. I, they were yeah. very clearly different people, but I saw this name and I'm like, well, this name is not going to stick. <laughs> yeah he's just traveling the yeah. continent casually yeah. i will say after so uh, a few of us what did i say a few of us pete aj and i read uh cracked pot trail <laughs> and now that any time that there is a secretive noblewoman i do assume that it is our good friends corporal uh Bocalina and corporal brooch so not that i think it's them but like 
It could be. You never know. You never know. I don't read the cast of characters in the beginning anymore just because I don't want to be, I want to be surprised if someone just shows up like that. So, but uh, that would be incredibly funny if it was them. Yeah, that would be really good. We go from there and we see Marilio at Stoney's school. Uh, it's a short scene, but I do like that Stoney's immediately like, hey, no charming here. And he's like, <laughs> I can't help but charm. But also, I just, I'm good. You know? <laughs> I don't fuck anymore, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think, do you think you could fuck again if you got stabbed while fucking? <laughs> I think it would be a long road back. I think. It would be a tough time to be that kid, to be that vulnerable again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I I don't know, man. Depends on who the situation of the stabbing, I feel. Okay. Yeah, I guess if I was, like, safely in my room with someone I trust, I would be less afraid that I'd get stabbed. It's true. He was in an open courtyard or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Maybe, or, like, an open-air bedroom. Yeah. So, with an unlocked yeah. door. I'm just saying, I yeah. don't really actually... I don't know. Whatever. He's allowed to not bang. I'm a, I'll let him process his trauma, you know. God bless. Yeah. Well, it seems like Marilio's the, the strict way that Marilio bangs is other people's significant others. So I think it's probably It does uh, happen that way a lot. Yeah. So but what, I don't know. Do we do we see a budding relationship? Doesn't have to be romantic, could be friendship. Do we see a budding relationship between Stoney and Marilio at all? Perhaps for sure. Anybody? For sure. No, I am super I'm 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 excited for Marilio to come to help Stoney save Harlow, I guess, or something. Oh, yeah, them just fighting through the mining camp. Yeah. You know, he seems to be thriving in the mining camp. He does. Thriving? He does. I don't know if, if thriving is the exact word I would use, but... He well, loves it, though. He's yeah, five. And see, that's the thing. Nowadays, it, I don't know. I know there's a lot of different talk, but I think when... You are a kid and you have the opportunity to work in a labor camp. You learn a lot of valuable lessons. <laughs> and I think you learn a lot of values that like just playing around in some preschool isn't going to teach you, you know, but I've been, been saying we were just talking about how like children shouldn't watch TV. And this could be the solution. That's exactly Send them to the mind to work. Take yeah. away that iPad and then send them into the textile factories. That's right, baby. Uh, that would be uh, I didn't think that was the stance we were going to take this episode. But, you know, I'm glad we're on. I'm glad we put ourselves on the record here. We'll see, so. Josh. It's kind of funny when you think about it. You know? <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. All right. Uh, I'm going to move us past Snell. That's boring. I want to get into the wildest couple of scenes, which is the shallow scenes in these chapter. In this chapter, can I just cut in? I like the Snell stuff, and I just want to shout out. I thought it was well written. I like the stuff, so I think it's well written. He's despicable. He's yeah, but I like. I don't know. Just the writing in it is really good, and I think it's just an awesome passage. And I I would pull quotes, but it's I, I can pull quote. But anyway, you want to move on? It's if you good. want to, put, no, no, if, you, if you have a quote to pull, go for it. No, I. It's just I. I don't. I don't have it here on my hand, but I just okay. wanted to shout it out. So I like the passage, and it is. Yeah. It is very well written. Steve has done a great job of making me despise this five-year-old boy, <laughs> which is you know not admittedly difficult for me, but he did it even better than normal. <laughs> So we we have these 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 few scenes. We, we learned last chapter that Gorlas has purchased uh, a mine from the dude with the weird name. Humble measure. To, humble measure. Who's trying to get the the Malazans uh, assassinated? So we know he bought a mine, and he's leaving Shallus alone, and leaving her to entertain his two fellow council members. Indy, where are you at with Gorlas? Do you find him to be? Insufferable? Do you understand? Like, do you see where he's coming from? I don't, I don't know. He's he's a weird fella. Yeah. Um. I think of him as more of a vehicle for me to hear about Chalice. Uh. I don't like him at all. I think he's scummy. I just think that he's just like, but not like in any like particularly 
horrendous, you're the worst ever kind of scum. Like, this is just a very, kind of like Peter said, like, real life, like, scummy thing to do. Like, this is not, like, let me use my hot wife to get gains. I think, you know, she's, Mm -hmm. Chalice is very much just a trophy wife kind of gal. And he's using her and that's, I mean, I don't know. And I don't know, like, also the conversation that they've had about, like, her role. Because she doesn't seem like... Like, yes, she's a caged bird, but also she's like, but I'm going to I'm going to fuck. So, you know, I don't yeah. know where what their agreement here is. But, yeah, I don't like him at all. Yeah, I uh, doesn't I, I don't know about you, you other everyone else. It does not feel like it's a verbal thing. It's more like he is just implying like you will do what they ask of you, you know, kind of thing. AJ. Yeah, I th- I think. I think you're right, Josh. I think it's just kind of like a this is your role and you're just going to do it. Um, regardless of really how she feels about it. But I think she is also strategic. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a strategic thing and she sees the advantage of, you know, I I mean, whether whether she knows it or not, like forming these relationships, you know, with other people um, Mm -hmm. as kind of like a, I don't know, maybe plan B, plan C situation or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure there's at least one one fool who would who would stab Gorlis for chalice. I mean, it's like it's implied that what's his face is like fully Chardon, fully yeah. down to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she was playing a game and I think she that seems to have played it well. Uh, yeah. But, playing the long game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if it started like that because, you know, she grew up and she was this noble child and stuff and she's just kind of doing what noble children are supposed to do, you know. But it has definitely turned into that. I mean, I would say probably most of them don't feel the need or pressure from their husband to use their body to facilitate political gain. I, I imagine it happens with a, a, a fair a, few. A small number, right. <laughs> yeah, you would you would hope most of them aren't yeah. having that happen. Yeah. Well, uh, weird question, because Steve, Steve weird, throws in weird lines sometimes that just kind of gets your brain going. Mm. And it's at the very tail end of the chapter. Do we feel like Gorlas just isn't into sex or do we think he might not be into women? Cause it is, it is explicitly stated that he has never had sex with her in their entire time of marriage. He has used his hand as was said, but like never actually done the deed. Do we feel like he's just doesn't feel the need because he's only hungry for power or what? What's the vibe we're getting? Maybe he recognizes that women don't come from penetration. So you think he's a he's a, a full on feminist helping feminist explore her sexualization? He's I did just, not see this take coming. He's just a giver. At the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it has um, to do with feminism. Maybe it's just he's just loves a he's a giver. Yeah. No, I think that he is only into like I think that he's just very much like a money hungry person. I think that he has no sexual like desires beyond yeah money. That's that's the vibe I'm getting too. It's very it's which is not a, a normal. Was well, of, isn't like he the one who has this books. passage here where he's like money's the only thing worth worshiping because you can worship it and it'll grow and mm-hmm. yada yada oh. yada. I, that sounds like him. Yeah. So he's I, a I believe that's him in, in, in this section. Yeah. All right. And oh, and uh, we'll get to the rest of that later. We move over to Skilara and Haboric, my new favorite duo. Skilara and Duker. Uh, Haboric is Duker. deceased. That's what I said. Uh, Skalar and Haboric. <laughs> That's what I said. No, oh, I wrote Haboric. Oh, no, I said Haboric in the fucking thing. I need to go back and change that to Duerker in the uh, voiceover. Here, wait, you want to just get a clean one right now? Yeah, yeah. Skalara works her charms on Duerker to make him escort her to the Phoenix Inn, 
where Cutter and Kruppa are catching up. Nice. I think, part of me just wants to leave that there. Pause. <laughs> I love nice. that. Nice. Scalara Scal- always a great character. At, just awesome in these scenes. She's mm-hmm. just great here. Yeah. So, uh, so, but yeah, so we're, yeah, so these scenes happen. And I'm just going to combine this with like the them getting their scene. Yeah. What, what do you think it is about Scalara that just kind of draws attention to her? Like she's so good at it. Like what, what is, what is, do you think there's a key trait she has? That gets people interested. To me, she's very self-assured. She knows who she is. And even though she has these questions she's working through and I think has problems she's working through, I feel like she's always had a real sense of self-identity. So maybe that's it for me. I don't know. What do you guys think? That feels pretty spot on. Yeah, I think self-assuredness is a is a great way to describe my feelings about it as well. Yeah. Like it just always feels like no matter how like out of hand a situation is, she always kind of has a grasp on it. You know, I don't know. I've never I've, I've I don't feel like we've ever read a, Sol- a Solara um, passage where it's like, oh, man, she's losing it or something. You know, mm-hmm. um, the closest we got was when when I think when they came back to Jerusalem and Cutter was like leaving her and she's like, OK, well, I guess I have to find somebody else to love. Like that was the farthest uh, I think we've ever seen her push. But even in that moment, she was like, OK, well, here, let's let's make a plan. Here we go. Here's what I need to do to, you know, do whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I, her stuff has always felt like there's a, a strong sense of direction, uh, I feel like. And it's I don't know. It feels like it's disconnected from the rest of the plot because she is just doing her own stuff, you know, uh, and that's not like in a good way. Like, I mean, that in a good way, mm-hmm. guys, I have a kind of a different take. <gasps> OK, oh. OK. All right. I love Scalara. I'm going to put that out there. This is like when you're talking shit about a friend with other friends right. and you're like, let me shit sandwich this. I love her so much. Great character. Very, and I agree, like with kind of, I don't really think that she is self-assured or really, I think that she's more so just like a person that has dealt with a lot of shit. So she's probably very resilient. I wouldn't say self-assured. And the reason being is that the one pitfall I see in her like character development is that she does always need to be with a man, whether it was Haboric, Cutter, now Duker, like she, that doesn't really go along with being very self-assured, mm. you know, like, and I think, you know, she was also, she had a really, she had a rough go of it. I think that she being with a man makes her probably feel safe. Mm. And that's my take. Mm. I love her character though. And, I think she's awesome. And well, even but I do, well, what AJ? Well, just, I was, uh, and even before she came to do she was with Barathol, you know, so that's right. Yeah. What were you going to say, Pete? Well, I guess my question is, are those two things really mutually exclusive? Like, yes. I think they are. <laughs> okay, why Why do you think that, Inge? Because I don't think, like, I think that to be self-assured and, like, comfortable in your own skin, you don't always need to be following a man. Do you think she's following the men? I feel like the men are following her sometimes. But she's gathering them. She's, like, making a point to get them. You she know, goes- we don't have, but she doesn't have to be, like, this powerful woman. Like, at the end of the day, she was, like, raped for, like, mad long and got her clit cut off as a child. Like, how can you expect a person like that to be an independent woman? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said there, Inge. I mean, So yeah. I just don't think that she's, like, a very, like, self-assured character. I think that she's probably just, like, very, like, my life was really, really bad, and now it's not that bad. <laughs> like... You got to think about where she's come from to where she is now and then compare, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, she had like that whole baby. Like her life is trauma. She seems like fucking funny because of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know how we all get that way. Trauma mm-hmm. makes us funny. 
I mean, Ange, I guess I, 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 I mean, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but I, maybe we actually disagree about this. I mean, I, I agree with what you said initially. I do think she obviously has a lot of perspective and experience and like she's a very resilient person that she's suffered all of this stuff and like has managed to, you know, kind of maintain a sense of self and, and kind right. of survive, you know, which going through that type of intensity, I think is really, you know, surviving is kind of, you know, a, a really powerful thing in a way. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I, what I is her like- sense of self to you though? Like, who is she to you? What do you think that like, because like, that's my thing is like, who is like, what is her person at? Like, what do we know about her really? Like, what about her is so self-assured? What does she do? What does she, what has she done? Well, survived? I mean, yeah. But her being a survivor is a part of her personality. I mean, I think if you talk about how she talks in Bone Hunters with that kind of other crew of sad people. I think she is this kind of voice of not necessarily selfishness, but about the necessity of survival and what you need to do to survive. You know, I think that's in contrast there. No, no, I agree with that. I definitely I do. And I don't not like her character. I love her character. I just don't think that she's necessarily like this independent, like very impressive, self-assured. I think she's an impressive character based on her trajectory and like what brought her here but i also just feel like i don't know i'm not like super like oh my god she's so independent look at her go well i don't know if it's about independence i guess i'm contrasting her with someone like cutter who i would say you know is going through your favorite character i know but what i mean it's like if you go through contrasting the cutter these other characters that ever all these identity crises you know it's like who am i what am i about how am i gonna live life i i don't see a scalara as someone who has great questions about her identity or how the world works or how she's gonna live you know i think she understands because of all this trauma how the world works how she is going to live and kind of what that means to her that's my i agree I agree with that. And I also think that Cutter is like a hard comparison because as a character, Cutter is just a whiny little fucking baby. So well, because, yeah, he's defined by his lack of. Right. <laughs> so it's hard oh. to compare. But um, yeah, I, I guess I agree with that. I do think that her life experience has made her definitely more, I guess, self-assured. <laughs> but I think we're in agreement. It's more about like survival and perspective mm-hmm. and not like, oh, I'm some strong whatever whatever you know yeah she's not like a boss babe or anything right she's, right yeah mm-hmm. i agree i don't think it's she's about just that. making it happen she's just living her life she's right. just i don't know but i think the self yeah, yeah she's, she's she's doing the stuff she needs to do but i think that's what the self-assuredness is it's like even even though she feels like you know maybe she does need a man or an, you know another person in her life to like help her live the life she wants to live at least she knows that you know what i mean like she is pursuing that but situation. then what's the difference between her and Chalice, you know, like in that way? Like, I, I guess there's a big difference between her and Chalice. I, I, I don't I don't what. Yeah, go. go. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I just think they have really different per, per trajectories. I mean, Chalice is like a noble woman who's like marrying Correct. for like status and wealth in a sense. And like in a position of courtship. And I mean, but I think isn't she, she marrying for like life? Like, isn't she just trying to like have a life worth living chalice i i i don't know i i i think it's tough because we only have her, her perspective in this book about like why she that's pers- true pursued this marriage with gorlis well i think ultimately it wasn't her choice right like she had already been betrothed to him or whatever in gardens of the moon right yeah i believe mm-hmm. we see her winning the betrothment 
Agorla's winning the betrothment, is my memory? Yeah. Or we see this the first step of that or something. Yeah, I, I so kind it's of not, forget how yeah. it it's, it's not like she made this conscious choice. It's just kind of was thrust upon her, and she's just like, yeah, okay, now I have to right. make the best of I this. I do think she accepted it, though, is my memory. Sure, but just because she's accepting it doesn't mean that it wasn't like a a pressured decision or something, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of forgot to be honest. I, I don't know. I just think there's a difference. And I, I think if, if like Scolaro, you know, wants to spend time with men or lovers or companionship, I don't think that like makes her less. I don't think that makes her weaker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Josh, how are you feeling? <laughs> You know, the mark of a great host is one that can just let their, you know, let their <laughs> guests just sort of do the work for them. Yeah. Uh, I just, just really quickly, I'm so sorry, Josh. Just no, really you're fine. Quickly, Go for it. I just think, I think that's true, but I also think that we, maybe that's my own, like, bias, like, thinking, growing up, like, being told, like, you have to, like, I just feel like we all were told, like, independent women don't need no man. Mm. And so that's very much in my head when I'm thinking about how she mm. hops around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, I, you're touching on something really interesting there, which I, I don't know. Part of me is like, how much? <laughs> like, no, let's let's move on. Let's move on, guys. But, I just no, I no, but India, I 100 percent agree. I do think there is a narrative that it is like women are stronger if they're independent, right. which right is, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> and I think it's almost that's on a different to, episode different episode exactly so we i i acknowledge india yes that is a point but i don't think scalara you know i don't know mm-hmm. all right well i'm gonna move us on i love this conversation feel free uh write in to uh 10 very big books at gmail.com with your thoughts also or send us a text uh, to five five <laughs> god damn it five two two uh, bucks yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're gonna let's just let's just breeze to the rest of this chapter. Uh, we have a mind scene. We 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 get an exposition for the mines, which yeah, duh. Of course, we have to have that before we just you know hard cut to Harlow. So let me skip to the hard cut to Harlow. He is thriving as a, we didn't like the word thriving. He is <laughs> succeeding as a as a mole in these mining camps. He's quite good at it. He's made a great friend whose name I didn't bother to remember, so I'm sure he'll come back later. Uh, and But the most important thing is earlier on the day that we are seeing Harlow, he has met an, an ancient Talan I mass yeah. from the Times of Race's original, uh, you know, time thing. So uh, this, how much, how much must it suck, guys? How much must it absolutely blow ass to, like, give up your soul in exchange for an immortal body, but like also someone could just take your legs or like break them in half, and then you're kind of fucked forever. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Uh, I'm excited though that he asked for splints because I can only assume that means he's going to put his legs back together and then just kind of get out there into the world and do him. Part of yeah, me is confused. I, I, Couldn't he just turn to dust and blow away? You know, Talani masks don't make any sense. Yeah, okay. They're kind of bullshit. So. Well, I guess he was surprised that he's alive. So maybe he doesn't know his powers or whatever. It could be. Yeah, he might be. It's really hard to tell what Talani masks. Actually, do we think this guy's like some super cr- uh, secret, like crazy evil person? And he was like buried alive at, right as the ritual happened? <laughs> Anything is entirely possible, AJ. Ugh. Again, they're in these these people are inscrutable. Yeah. So um I think the only thing I would say that is that I am curious about really is the fact that this guy wish I remembered his name. Sorry, folks. Uh, Devad Anan Toll? <laughs> or are you talking about the, the Talana Mass? 
The Talata Mask, yeah. yeah. It's Devada Nantol, so. It's really good. I love that he's like, they imprisoned me. I was too far ahead. And like, he was so old. Like, he fucking invented the wheel, probably. Yeah. Like, I love that he's like, let me come and have my inventions. And it's going to be like, you know, 2,000 years too late. That would be, I would really love that. Yeah, I, I really love the moment where he like sees the lantern and it's like, oh, this fucking rules, dude. This yeah. is sick as shit. And Harlow's like, let me take you out into the world. And he's like, there's no fucking way I'm ready to see the world yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. surprised at this lantern. So maybe give me, which I appreciate that uh, that self-awareness, you know, being Agreed, able to know yeah. like I can't handle seeing the fucking sun. Um, just leave so, me down here a little bit longer. Yeah, and the rest of this scene just kind of has Harlow kind of get back. He hides those tools the Talani mask gave him, promises to make explain. There are hints that there are some camp bullies who will be a problem for him, yeah. and we'll see how that goes. I, you know, there's nothing to talk about yet until that actually happens. Who and that brings bullies us to the- a fucking five-year-old, though? I'm so sorry. Who bullies a five-year-old? It's so weird. This is Eight. so weird. Kids with a lot of anger. That's it. Yeah, they can't, the answer is 10-year-old child slaves. They like fair. Yeah, they got to they got to exert power where they can. Yeah, unfortunately, I know we kind of rushed through it. I did like the scene with Diker when I think Scalara is like, oh, you're the guy who lived through the chain of dogs. And he goes, yeah, "Eh, no, not really. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, actually, no, I died. Yeah, it's a great line. And that brings us to the final scene of Chalice getting way too wine drunk as look everyone's done it at least once in their life you skip the hors d'oeuvres you're confident you're gonna be fine what's that the fish is taking a little too long to come out you're on your fourth glass whoops all wine in your tummy uh we've all been there but i really liked it because it made all of the shit that went go that went down very confusing because she was incredibly confused so i thought Mm. it was like when she's like, oh, my God, or has just left. I was like, eh, caught me off guard, too. Almost like the narrator is drunk as shit. Uh, so I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, where, where are we? At? Do we have a good understanding? Did we before this scene have any understanding of the two other council members? Not that I know of, but I don't remember anything. Fair. I didn't have any under I didn't have any clue on either of them. AJ. Yeah, we just we saw the scene of them. Uh, I don't remember if it was the last section or this end of book one there's a scene with Gorlass and the two of them speaking about their plan but really it just seemed like Hannah and Chardon Lim were just like flunkies or something they didn't really seem much like they were up to anything that's exactly how I felt it was a very it was a big shock like a, to just learn that a one of them's maybe a crazy guy who wants to kill everyone and then the other one's like kind of good I don't know it was a very it felt rushed to me how quickly we were supposed to form full opinions on these people that we had only seen like in a group before. I don't know if you felt the same AJ in India, but it did. The scene was weird. I thought I thought overall the scene was a little weird and very fast. Yeah, I feel like all the scenes with Gorlis and, and, and the other two guys are just like, I don't know what's going on really. Yeah, because it's it's like when like Shadowthorn and Cotillion are talking, you know, like they have a plan and they know what it is. So they're right. not going to obviously explain the plan to us. And mm-hmm. so there's like parts of they're just like saying stuff. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I don't know. Whatever. You made this plan already. Why don't we just go and, <laughs> you know, why don't we just yeah. go and do this stuff? I don't. You know, I don't. India, all three of the people, Gorlas, or and Chardin, they have all equal at times expressed that they are completely convinced that uh, they are the best duelist in the city <laughs> and that they would kill the other two in an instant. How, how do you feel about men and their confidence levels in <laughs> in, in life and these nice, books? Nice. Oh, my God. I hate them. I think that toxic masculinity 
has really, really instilled a sense of false confidence in a lot of young boys growing up. Yes. It's sad to me. It's sad to me because, you know, they'd rather just die than say, maybe I'm not the best duelist. (laughs) (laughs) They're in the man box. A hundred percent. And I'm just so happy that I'm not chalice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Yeah. That is a fair point. However, Chardon, Chardon, Chardon. Yes. He doesn't seem so bad. It's tough because we're only seeing not all men. <laughs> it's it's tough though, India, because like our only interaction with him one on one is with Shallus, like real drunk and self admittedly already horny. Like I know, so, and and men lie. They all lie. That's men my do lie. He, I I, yeah. I just don't know if it's a play or not. You know, I, I don't it's know. Such a play. That's the problem. You never know. Steve explicitly says like that, like when she's like, let's go to bed, that he is like he looks visibly surprised that that's what she wanted to do. Mm. But also like it's so tough because like Shallus is a super unreliable narrator right here because she is real fucking drunk. Now, she at one point, Steve's like she felt suddenly sober with the turn of it. But it's like, come on, I I don't know. So I'm curious to see if he is the noble that he seems to be. But, you know, that will remain to be seen. Yeah. I think I too think it is sad that these men can only express themselves through <laughs> boasting about their <laughs> dueling skills. Yeah, yeah. B- but I just really love Chalice, and I love her parts, and I love her almost as much as Crocus here. I mean, I think this scene is just kind of masterful for a lot of the reasons we're dancing around. And I think it's like, is she being an unnatural? reliable narrator is he playing her is she playing him is right. Gorlis playing her you know it's all of these questions and we have inklings in several different ways and i think it's kind of really well drawn where we're in chalice's point of view but we're kind of kept at a certain distance but we also get to know it's like we you learn a really kind of just the perfect amount so i think it's a great scene i i do also wonder with with how quickly or leaves and then Chardon just fully has a reason for it. Like there is a part of me that's like, was the whole thing choreographed of him trying to be to paint or badly to get hair on his side? I don't know. It's yeah. There there are many questions left after this. Yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a very good scene. Weird weird fucking scene, but real good. Yeah, Pete. I didn't realize it until just right now, but you're you're saying earlier about you know the 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 stories in this chapter being very like just like human and just like on the ground, you know, and I really I didn't notice it in the moment. But as we're going back and talking about the rest of this chapter, I'm like, man, this was a really good chapter because as I was reading, it, I think I was like, this is kind of mundane. But now having talked through it, it's like, oh, no, this is actually like good because it's mundane. And the, and, but this is the the mundane is what I love. Here, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really it's it's a big juxtaposition with the next chapter we're about to get to, which is the <laughs> almost exact opposite. Right. You know, and I, I do think it's, you know, obviously Purposeful. it's not. Yeah. But because especially the Andy stuff is like, yeah, well, let's get into it. There's a whole. All right, let's do it. We're moving on to chapter 10, folks. Here we go. We're entering. Uh, what, what, what will be the shitty radio thing to say for like the second um, Actually, half? Josh, excuse me. After uh, you're not up to date with the Fast and Furious, this is actually chapter X. Is <laughs> oh, going into you're right. right you're, you're so right. Uh, uh. We're entering chapter X. Um, X before we rated. Before we do, Josh, we'd love to just thank our Patreon sponsors. <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna say I'll thank them, but I will do it in a shock jock voice. 
What's up, all you beautiful people? That's right, it's time for the Patreon Thank you. Patreon Thank Yous. This week, we'd like to thank Alex, Daniel, Alan, Corporal Herb, and Jared. Jared's fucking crazy. You guys don't even know. If you'd like to join the dog pound on our Patreon, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. And for just one dollar, you can get access to all our raunchiest bonus stuff that we save for the private feed. Uh, emphasis on the bone. <laughs> including an uncut episode. Uh, Pete, do you want to get in on this? I'm, I'm really good out here. Okay. I got to be honest with you. Thank you all so much for the support. We appreciate it a lot. Let's move on. All right. Chapter 10. Endist Salon reaches the river he has traveled to, but is disappointed to find it less similar to that of his memories than he'd hoped. He comes across Kaladin Brood, who seems to be waiting for him. This plot thread is so fucking opaque, it drives me crazy. Samar, Dev, and Traveler see signs of Karsa's passing. They continue on and find some of the recently freed slaves, who point them towards Karsa, and tells them that he wields a blade of flint to everyone's relief. They soon reach Karsa, who hugs Samar fondly. He challenges Traveler to a battle for Samar's heart, which is adorable. But she reminds everyone that she don't need no man, so they can both back off. They all head to Darugistan, because this is a Malazan book, and we all need to end up in the same place by the end of it. Selind, High Priestess of the Redeemer, has strange visions, and awakens the Temple of the Tissi Andy. She speaks with Spinnock, and they agree she should rest before returning to the Barrow. Spinnock seems hurt by Selin's connection with her god. Seerdoman absolutely annihilates some fools who conspire against Rake and the Andy. As he leaves the former keep of the seer, he is watched by rats. Namander's group enters Bastion, which is strangely empty. They post up in an abandoned inn that seems to hold supplies left for them. Namander and Skintik note a strange contraption that has crashed in the city, that Kalor identifies as Kachain Shamal in origin. The duo explore the city, but are stopped by an angry mob in front of the temple, their destination. Kalor moves through the crowd, seeking an audience with the crippled god. Namander and Skintik return to the inn. They plan to try and sneak past the mob and face the crippled god directly. Crone and Rake talk. But it's all nonsense. The end. So, just to, I, I just want to say overall, I, I find it really interesting. When I was writing this, uh, this whatchamacallit, summary. So, the, this chapter is not short, but, like, the things that happen in it are, like, pretty succinct when you summarize it. I thought it was interesting how how like much into detail some of these things went for the amount of things that happened. Cause a lot of, cause we saw last chapter, sometimes Steve just gets right into it and he's got a chapter that's got like 12 different plot lines. Mm -hmm. So it's a testament to him. 
So we first get to what I would call the most infuriating plotline so far in this book, which is Enda's Salon and his nonsense. And the fact that Kaladin Brood is just here chilling by a river, disbanded his army, and is just sort of hanging out. Pete. What up? What are your thoughts on Kaladin Brood overall? Cool guy. I like him, and I like when he shows up in the book. That's great. I like Whenever that. he shows up, I'm like, cool. He can hang out more. He is the most reminiscent of cool World of Warcraft characters I like. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah. I yeah. picture him as a Warcraft character with like a huge hammer or something even though 100%. i know it's a regular size hammer he does have a is it a regular sized hammer? i think it's a regular size hammer he is just like magic or something and well, can, it's not like a house hammer right, right no no, right. no. sorry it's like a, a regular warhammer size thing okay it's not yeah. like you know a, a fucking world like of warcraft Thor. i could you know, i nine could see foot myself tall, yeah I, I could see myself taking the sky lift up to thunder bluff and like yes really, Really just hanging out with him in his little hut. Yes. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. Yeah. He definitely has huge horde energy. Taking sure. me oh, back, for dude. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, they're hanging out at the river, and they're having a classic Malazan cryptic opaque conversation mm-hmm. about ideas. So Classic. Forgiveness. And, and AJ, how often do you see a body of water and think to yourself, God, that's just like the body of water I saw 1,800 miles away. I wonder, could it be? <laughs> Uh, Do you find yourself doing that often? You know, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Um, Philadelphia is next to a river. <laughs> Go birds. The Delaware River. Go birds. Whoa, yeah. Uh, gross gross river, full of stuff. Really sad, honestly. It's also nothing like the Dorsen Rill. <laughs> it's also, yeah, it's also nothing like the Dorsen Rill, but sometimes I'll look at it and I'll go, is it? You know? Right. So Well, and then you could also look at the other river th- that's around Philadelphia, which is as shittily named as most Malazan. The Schuylkill. You know? Yeah, that's right. If you were to, if you told me the Schuylkill was a river in Malazan, I'd be like, fuck no, yeah. No, Josh, you don't pronounce the H. It is just Schuylkill. Schuylkill? No, Schuylkill. Josh, you said the H again. Schuylkill? Yeah, there you go. All right, you're trolling me. Schuylk. Famously, I've refused to pronounce the Susquehanna River's name correctly. Uh, mostly because I just, that's how I read it the first time with Susquehanna. Uh, and it upsets every native Marylander I've ever met. And therefore, I will never stop doing it. That's really funny. Legendarily, one time you were coming into Philadelphia to visit us, Josh, and you were like, yeah, so it came in and it was the first time ever I took the Schuylkill Expressway. And <laughs> it was kind of a terrible road. It took me a really long time. I remember this exact trip. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, Josh, you shouldn't have taken that road. That is famously like the, the worst, worst road. fucking road yeah. in all of Philadelphia. It was a nice ride, but I was like, this is the, so inefficient. There's a, a light road. every 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was awful. Anyway, let's get out of Philly traffic talk. But Josh, have you considered the river is maybe a metaphor? <sighs> is it for, is it like, you know, his his past life and being able to traverse his memories? I don't know. It, it fucking sucks. You know, like river's it. constantly changing, Josh. It's never the same river. So no matter how much you want it to be the same river, you know, even if even if it is the Dorsen Rill, it's a different river than it was, you know. That's not really what I was going for, but sure, let's do that. Whatever, rivers. So India, I'm done with this. India. Yeah. Do you do you think are you are you of the same opinion as me, which is that Samardev, Traveler and Karsa would be the power thruple that this continent fucking needs? Yes. Right. That's such what a could, good thought. What could stand in their path? Nothing. And they have the Samar Dev, like, logical part. Traveler's pretty, uh, I don't really know how I feel about Traveler. Traveler's, and Karsa will just bring the fire. It's almost, you could say Karsa's kind of like hot iron, and Traveler might be sort of like a colder version of that same iron. <laughs> ah. 
Um, oh, here's man. the thing, though. Sam Ardev and Traveler, maybe. I don't think Karsa would go poly. He doesn't seem like that type of guy to me. No, he you immediately know? threatened to kill Traveler. So. <sighs> I don't know. I was just thinking about it. I was like, Karsa, Karsa will fuck. Karsa will fuck anyone. I, I think if it was framed correctly, I think he would do it. Yeah. But part I just don't I just don't think he would be in an open relationship. That doesn't sound, sound like Carson. To me. I don't think it's open, though. You know, I think it's just a solid closed off throuple. Yeah, oh, there are close. It's a closed. Three. It's it's a yeah. it's a polycule. I mean, I don't know if it's technically a polycule if it's still just three people, but I don't I have never heard that word in my life. Polycule. Yeah. AJ, uh, AJ just made it up. <laughs> What's a monocule then? If there's a mono, it's probably is that dual. just you being one person, right? You being one person. It came up with monocle, so close. Look, I didn't make the words up, man. It's just that's just. I feel like our first segment was way more on topic, and we are struggling to even get into this chapter. Polycule is a connecting network of people in non-monogamous relationships. Interesting. There you go. Yeah. Well, anywho, uh, we see them doing some stuff. Cars is just continuing to slow. Why? Why do you think people attack Carsa? still who have ever met him once he's so big he's just so he's big so big i think it's i think it goes back to what india said of like i have to prove it's, i'm yeah. the strongest even though i am clearly not yeah like if look guys if i am teaching at my school and all of a sudden i'm you know we're in a faculty meeting and someone walks in the door and my principal's face just starts leaking blood <laughs> i am doing whatever the fuck that new person asks me to do all right it's like there is no harder way to enter a meeting than just making the leader's brain explode. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's true. I never have the impulse like, oh, that dude is huge. I should fight him. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought that in my whole life, actually. Well, that's because y'all got there's uh, as a shorter fellow myself, there are a subset of shorter dudes who have what I have dubbed little man syndrome, which is the intense need to attack. Be mad at taller people. I've I've seen videos of of this in in action. Not from not of you, just of, of yeah. shorter men. I worked with a guy. I'm five seven. I'm not a tall man. And I worked with this kid once when I was in high school who was five five, and he wanted to fight me every fucking day. And it was so bizarre to me. Hmm. I never understood it. Hmm. That's so. tough. I mean, he was also fucking jacked because he was a varsity wrestler, like state ranked. And I was like, <laughs> you don't need to prove anything. I'm a band kid. Like, I don't know what this whole thing is. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't want to fight you, sir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm yeah, not it's, interested. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like um, violence is the only language some people are taught to communicate in. You know? Yeah. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. Pete, I don't it's know true. what you're talking about. Have you heard of toxic masculinity, folks? I fucking love <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the letter T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've crossed we've crossed the hour mark. So now this is this is the next show on the radio station. <laughs> it's uh, it's oh, a children's right, educational right, right. <laughs> So, AJ, th this scene ends with a classic Malazan trope. Uh, isn't it impressive that there are that a series can be so ridiculous that it's has it builds its own tropes throughout? But we have the trope now of this group just deciding for whatever reason to go to the same place most of the other plot lines are happening in. Um, yeah. And my question to you is, how long does Karsa exist in Darujistan before he murders somebody? <sighs> That is a tough question, I think, because I don't know. I mean, because with with the oh, what were they? The, the Scathandi, he just like showed up and when they even say like he didn't like perp he didn't he, he didn't make the effort to kill anybody. He just showed up and was like, you're free now. Get fucked. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. 
if that's going to be the situation of Darugistan and he's not going to fight unless he's, you know, fighting back or whatever. And there are no, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, there are no explicit, like there's explicitly not slavery in Darugistan, but there is in the mining camps in a way, correct? Um, my understanding, is Harlow a slave? Yeah. Can he leave? Well, okay. He's five. Yes. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Obviously, he's property. He was bought. He's a slave. He was bought at a minimum. Pete, he is a prisoner. Yeah, but without. Yeah, due I know. Tro- I guess that I'm getting pretty process. pedantic over yeah. what you are getting by slave. I'm just like, this yeah. seems like a weird hill to die on. <laughs> yeah, is the five year old mean to be a slave? A slave? Mm. I will be <laughs> crucified on this hill and shot through the head with an arrow before I admit he's not a slave. You know, I well, heard just, that slavery wasn't even real. Slavery never <laughs> happened. <laughs> Okay, India. Well, the well the thing is, it's like the slaves had their own houses. They like had I'm songs. Leaving. They had priests. Oh like, no! Cut! <laughs> cut! Cut it all. Literally, though. Wait, just very so so sorry. Sorry to digress. I need to talk about this very quickly. I went to Andrew Jackson's Hermitage, and literally, what you just said, Peter. They had houses. They had they had culture. They made it work. Literally, was like on the plaque outside of where um, the plantation was. God, I was. Dude. Like what though? Oh, it was so it was a surreal experience. Imagine being that. Oh, dead ass. That's one of those things. Lots of people, weird Southern apolo- like slavery apologists, will say. You know, yeah. they were like yeah. they said horrible things about Andrew Jackson. I'm like, he was a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but wow. yeah, so that was that. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Harlow is high key a slave. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, okay. All I meant in regards to the legality of slavery, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the answer, uh, so I, I don't uh, I'm not sure. My, my only the, what's tripping me up is I know there's this whole plot line in House of Chains where there's the slaves because there's slavers in the north who sla- enslave them. Right. Oh, yeah, you're right. And uh, upper Ganabacus. Yeah. And, is, and then. The Malazan Empire catches them and are like, slavery is illegal here. We're going to, they're prisoners now and we're sending them to our prison labor camp. Right. Which is legal. Yeah, don't, Torvald and Carson have a whole conversation about that, don't they? Yeah, it's like totally different. Don't think about the prison labor. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so what is the extent of slavery in Darugistan? I don't I I couldn't tell you. But yes, the mine is bad. Is that what you want me to say? <laughs> no. Yeah, I was just kind of trying to think about it because, you know, Carson typically doesn't, you know, indiscriminately murder unless there is slavery, in which case then he 100 yeah. percent will if needed. Yeah. But I guess also you can't get me. I'm anti chattel slavery. My official position. It's <laughs> <laughs> so brave of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that so I was guess. brave. That, that was brave. That was funny. You guys are so funny this morning, guys. I'm really loving our conversation. Josh always has like the best sessions with us. Wow, bro. I hosted like a hundred episodes of the show. <laughs> um, it's okay. Mine Josh, are the worst. Josh, to go. Somewhere. Josh, to go back to your original question of how long does it take Carson to kill someone? I honestly, I honestly have no idea. Truly, mm-hmm. I think it changes. I think he kills people differently. Yeah, because I think like it, we saw somebody see Mapo and be like, oh, my God, he's so big. So I think if Carsa comes in, who is bigger than Mapo, right? Oh, yeah. I think it'll be like mass hysteria or something. But I don't think he's going to kill anybody until he like, I don't know, talks to I, I, if, if anybody's going to try and kill him. It's going to be um, like 
like Vorkan or something or like whoever's the current head of the guild, quote unquote. Fair. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Look, we'll have to see. Who knows how long it takes them to get there? So yeah. Also, I just went on the record. It was so sweet that Karsa hugged Samar Deb and immediately oh. was like, now I'm going to kill Traveler for you. Yeah, dude. Loved that for sweet. them. I love a big um, hug, you know? I so fucking ship hug. them so bad. Me too. I want her to just melt in his arms so badly. <laughs> I want pieces. him to melt in her arms. Nice. True. Kind of difficult. I don't know even if she can fully grasp him. She probably can't. He's- she definitely can't. That also uh, seems like a like a toxic masculinity thing. Like he just needs to find the right woman, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he does. That's what we. Yeah, that's what we're taught. Then that puts the responsibility on her to fix him, yeah, which then, is not. Then her he'll stop. Then he'll stop his murders. Right. Anyway, yeah, it's it's her fault. It is her fault. She lets him do it. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, all right. So we leave there and we we go back to Black Coral for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited. For, I'm really excited, actually, for Black Coral, finally. I, I could not have given two shits, but I'm very excited that we see Selind kind of embrace her role as whatever the fuck she is because religion in this goddamn universe is so hard to understand, but she's the high priestess some, or maybe in the house. I don't know. But she's seeing visions. She's doing some cool shit. The Tisty Andy priestesses were great, and then she immediately hurts all their feelings by being like, I had a vision from God. <laughs> uh what what did you guys think about this scene? Are we where do you where are you seeing Celind right now? Are you, are you excited to see her embrace this new role or or how what? It's not a great question, but we're gonna go with it. <laughs> now I'm gonna rephrase the question, India. If you suddenly felt the presence of pregnant mothers walking through your body and you could feel the the unborn embryo fetuses in there, uh, how would you feel upon waking up? <laughs> Confused. I just and also like. It, why is this happening? What is she's a priestess? So is this like are, are we are we learning? Is she is something supposed to be happening here? Like is she or is it just a dream? Like a regular ass dream? The, There's the best no such I, thing. Yeah, the best I can get at India. All right, and this is just because this is as much as I got. So we've never we've not really seen a new ascendant be born necessarily, right? So I think we other than maybe um there was hints that Absalar kind of was, but anyway. So like it looks like it Coven it may become like a legit full blown ascendant, and we know that most ascendants have roles beneath them that sort of confer some sort of special powers typically. And so Itkovian being so new as the Redeemer, it to me feels like whatever this girl's name is, I've just said it, Selind, Selind. is going to become like the priestess of the Redeemer, you know, like, like a proper noun priestess. So that's as much as I can get. And if that is what happens, then she will almost assuredly be getting some sort of, you know, this is like her ability. Maybe she's like the priestess of mothers or something. Hmm. Hmm. as much as i got aj does that feel right to you uh yeah i mean yeah like you said we've never actually seen someone become ascended so we don't really know exactly the process i I would say the closest we got to like seeing someone become a high priestess was last book with feather witch yeah um you're right yeah but that was i think a very different situation (laughs) um where this one is more like it feels like whatever power Itkovian, the Redeemer, has he's like seeking mm-hmm. her out uh, instead of the other way around. Yeah, um, and this this seems to be yeah this seems to be like the ascendant choosing rather than right. Featherwitch being like I'm that's it's me now it's me surprise yeah 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 but no I I love it I mean I've 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 been all in since we arrived at the Barrow of the Redeemer I was like okay we're gonna bring back one of my favorite fellas 
in some in some form or whatever. So I'm 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 psyched on this. I'm I'm really hyped on this. Awesome. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. And now she does have some real confidence here that uh, she's going to just get seared him in. Um, yeah. And is now, Pete, is that how you felt upon pressuring us so many times to do this podcast? You were like, this time's the charm. I did not pressure you. I would say I asked once and we all really did not understand what we were going to do. So, yeah, <laughs> that's really fair. Um, In fact, Pete, well, I also I would like to just piggyback off peep when they asked me to do this i actually was like i'd be offended if you didn't ask me so yeah uh that's where i stood on that front i'm just gonna throw mm. that out there i've completely sealed my own fate in this in this mess that i'm in we, that we i were love so much you, you see josh this prison we found ourselves in is God actually nobody's it. fault you know <laughs> it's a prison just... of our own creation <laughs> it really I, is when you look at it that i way. love that i love how we talk about this like as if we all don't get up bushy tailed on a we sunday or, we organically created a malazan podcast and no one in particular came up with the idea <laughs> yeah in fact yeah. i think it was my idea to be honest you know, okay. now that you're saying it, I do think India came up with the idea. I think India said, Peter, you read those Malazan books, didn't you? I've been yeah. meaning to start a podcast. I really loved to get into fantasy with the hardest fantasy novels. I feel like, why not? Yeah. Really, I just wanted to meet Steve. Yeah, she saw, she saw some pics online and was like, well, what's the fastest way to meet this fella? Well, we got to start a long podcast. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah. And then so that it's it, this is the scene. I, I mean, it seems very important. I think it's a pivotal moment for this plot line. But like, we're not going to know the ramifications for a little bit. And then we move on to Seardom in. Hmm. Now, I believe AJ made a call. Maybe it was India, but I believe it was AJ just stated as fact, like chapter one. Oh, this Seardom in, it must be the one that was with talk. Was it you who made that call? No. One of us has has brought up this serenoming being, or maybe Pete spoiled it. It's all Peter's fault. It's something I readers, I thought that that there was only one serenoming, and then we talked about that's that. what it was. Yeah, okay. and you would you had thought that because of that, this must have been the one that was at the top. And it is revealed here in this chapter is, right yeah. now. It it was in fact you, you know we didn't get there the correct way, but we did get there. <laughs> so uh, so yes, we, we love a cold shot. We love we a cold do. shot. So we learned that this Seardomen was, in fact, the one who helped out Tak as much as he could. And he feels great remorse about it and in some ways wishes he had just let Tak die quicker. Yeah, it's so sad. It is. Especially fucking knowing that Tak dies anyway, Steve. <laughs> Wait, that's so true. That is so upsetting. But I remember when that happened, just very quickly, I digress. I remember when Tak went and was like, ah, everybody has like too much power and I'm a weak link mm -hmm. and then fucked himself. So yeah. I'm just going to I just want to toss that out there. But the Seer Dolman, that was like, what were they doing to help him? Um, I think they were just scooting him a little farther away or doing. I can't remember. Or Why was they there was, with the with the mother? What the fuck? Oh, I don't remember. That was book three, India. That's this so is long so ago. crazy. This is so the matron, crazy. The major the, the the seer was mad at talk for infiltrating or something and getting that close or whatever and would just punish him by doing that. I can't remember exactly. Pete, do you remember? Can you can you share? It do doesn't matter. What the Seardom Man was doing? Okay. Doesn't um, even matter. Doesn't even fucking matter. Was just curious. All right. I guess we'll leave it then. <laughs> unless right, we'll you unless you know. Unless like it's like off the top of your head, but I feel bad making everybody like think, because I'm not thinking. I could yeah, think about it. 
Yeah. <laughs> we're we're good. Right. Let's move on. We move on. There's some cryptic thing about some rats watching him, and there's some rat priest that has never been introduced, and it's just kind of named, and we're supposed to be like, ooh, the rat priest. So we'll see about I that. I don't know. I loved that. They they had said monk rat in, in previous chapters. I don't remember in what context, but the fact that monk rat. Did they? I, I believe so. It didn't sound unfamiliar unfamiliar to me. Oh, okay. Maybe I just forgot. Or maybe it, it was, was just cool in name. this chapter, and I was like, yeah, this rules. Because I love the idea. <laughs> it's always the... The 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 Malazan naming bullshit is either like here's Barrel, Borrel, and Barrel, but or <laughs> here is fucking like truck driver. His name is truck driver, and surprise, yeah, he drives uh, yeah. a truck. <laughs> so oh, like, that's so. When that's they were so like, true. yeah, his name's Monkrat because he's a monk of rats. Like, <laughs> it's so good and so dumb, but I love it a lot. I really, really yeah. love it. No, you're so right. That's uh, I, I well, look, I have no idea what it's about. So I, I am excited to see where this monk rat goes. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know? We get to the final important scene. I'm going to go right to the last scene. I'm not going to talk about the Cronenrake talk. It's nonsense. So just <laughs> for all intents and purposes, the final section of this chapter sure. for our podcast is the bastion scene. So we we get in there. I'm just going to up front and say, you wrote the crippled God. It is the dying God. I know what you're saying. Just clarifying for the audience. Okay, you're right. Sorry. And I I said that Kalor was going to seek an audience with the dying God, who I guess I just assumed is the crippled God. So, yes, you 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 have. I I know what you've done. I'm just clarifying in text. Got it. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Um, So we're in Bastion. There's a great line. Where spin, skin, skin tick is like, you know, if you'd, you'd think with a city called Bastion, it would be a yeah. noble fortress, which is very funny. There is now, I, I want to talk a little bit, I, I want to start off, start off right at the bat with there being a crashed Kachain Chamal f- machine. Mm-hmm. And then skin tick being like, maybe the dying god came down in it. Do you, India and AJ, do you have any grasp whatsoever on the, di- on the dying god, the jade crystals? How the Kachin Shamal have anything to do with it? Have, are there any connections you've made? Because I've made zero. No. That AJ's shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry, I forgot we were on an audio medium. You know, I have no... Pete, when you were reading these books, you mm. know, forever ago, do you, can you remember, did did this plot line, had you put anything together or were you also just along for the ride with these these big things happening i'm i i've i was never a big putter together a lot of the times i only put some stuff together but this the the mood and tone of this section has really stood out to me more this time you know so Mm -hmm. okay that's good that's good to know it's not just us that this is as i called other storylines this one's opaque as well Mm -hmm. Uh, but we get in there calor is doing his own thing there's an inn that's been set up for them at some point, actually, I want to back up. This is a question I've had for several chapters. Why do they give a fuck about Clip? It felt like the first several chapters, they felt like they were kind of held hostage in a way by Clip. And they're at, they got to the point where Clip is literally no longer of their concern, or could be if they just let him go. He's no longer holding the threat of killing them. Why do they feel so drawn towards saving him just so they can go to their dad it I, aj india any thoughts on this because i just don't understand why they care i i think it's kind of a I, yeah is he, I, is I, he I, a religious I, figure he's a religious figure i mean he's technically claimed to be the mortal sword of anamander rake yeah you know maybe that's why yeah it seems i don't remember the exact 
uh, moments from from that chapter. But I feel this feels like something that Namander was like, no, we have to bring him back. And everyone's like, OK, fine, Namander. You know, yeah, um, I can see that. I hate Namander so He's much, a good dude. guy. He's a good guy. Is he? Oh, Namander. I thought he meant Clip. <laughs> it's like Clip is not a good, explicitly yeah. not a good guy. Yeah. It feels like. But they're here, and at this point, I mean, it's a full-blown horror movie, you know? (laughs) They've shown up to an inn. It's been left with supplies for them so that they can, you know, eat and get ready for whatever the next ordeal is. Kudos to these these Andy for having a backbone. I would have left forever ago. (laughs) No way I'd be this far in. Yeah. There's, um, Um, this, in in this section, there's, like, they talk about the Kellek and stuff, and it's, like, very clear here that this is, like, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's very clear. I don't want to make assumptions about, you know, purpose and stuff. But this is like a very clear uh, addiction allegory to me. Oh, yeah. Um, and even with the quote, uh, this Kellogg is worse than a plague because its victims invite it into their lives and then are indifferent to their own suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's a poignant summation of of uh, the disease of addiction. You know, but I, I'm not sure if this book is going to I don't know. It just seems like a thing that the book is touching on. I don't, I don't know if it's like a theme of the book, but I appreciated it, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely not a theme that's been explored so far besides, uh, I guess, somewhat with Scalara when she was kind of hooked on. Yeah, we've got the, the Durhang stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But this is to a, a much bigger extreme. Yeah, sure. I think I think making it in a, in a or, or showing it through a thing that's not like explicitly a drug you know, like it is some like. Well, this is more metaphorical, right? Exactly. Sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially mm-hmm. since Kellick, I think, is you know, it is like kind of a thing physically, but I also think it's more more symbolic to right. me it than be, it could like be Durhang anything. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to stand in for different stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then we get to, I mean, pretty much the, the chapter ends with uh, Namander and Skintick sort of exploring. Finding the temple and seeing it guarded by far too many people for them to fight through and, and kind of deciding their only option is to sneak in. And I think from, from there, all we, all we, yeah, from all, I think from there, all we can do is make some uh, predictions on how that's going to go. So I would like to, I would like to constrain our prediction corner today to this plot line. How, where do we see the Tisty Andy Anamanda Rake children's storyline going from here now that they are in the city of the dying god, Bastion. India, you first. Where do you predict this will go? How will things turn out? All right. So the dying god and the Kachain Shamal and the Jade Hands are, in fact, not Haboric, but a very large and scary demon. And then... Clip is going to get eaten by the demon. And then fucking somehow Karsa and Traveler are just going to appear there. And Anamana Rake is going to be there too. And they're all going to talk and sort this whole mess out. And that's how this is going to end. Wow. I'd love that to happen. That sounds great. I, I, I don't know if I'm confident that will happen, but I would I would. Peter like looks that. Peter looks confident. Peter looks confident over there. Yeah, that face screams you nailed up, it. Yeah. All right, and AJ, how about you? Where do you see this going? I think Arantha is like a Tashrin in Memories of Ice situation. She's just worse at hiding it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think she's got, she's obviously got some shit going on inside her. And I feel like they're going to try and sneak. 
They're going to get caught. It sounds like Arantha is like some sort of personification of uh, the like Makra or something, because there was a couple of instances. There were a couple of instances. She's definitely. Yeah, she's definitely something. Yeah. Where like Namanda was around her and like he said he like felt something about, you know, in his head. I don't know. So I feel like they're going to get caught and then there's going to be some sort of like fight and then she's just going to do some sort of like brain scream and like kill them all or turn them or something or like. I don't fucking know. And then uh, a brain scream. Yeah, you know, like, a brain scream. I like that. I like that word. <laughs> what is that? Big fan. The fuck is that? You know, like a psychic sound. That's that's like a scream. But you, uh, you can't actually make sounds from your head. Yeah, from your head. Right. And everyone's going to hear and it people. in their heads. Yeah. Ah, brain scream. Yeah, I love I that. Um, that's great. That's good. Yeah, I, I just there's just no way that this works out. That This goes well. No, way. but I can't. They're, they they can't just like have a clip with them and then oops he is dead now like there has to be some sort of conclusion to that you know and I just don't even know what it is because like I don't want it to be that like uh, he gets revived and he's fine or whatever like uh, I just don't know I just don't know I I really do think that uh I think that we're gonna they're gonna get in there. And it's going to be revealed that they wanted Namander all along and they're going to take a, a Namander and use him. Interesting. Because that's how Steve do. He make you like, and then he destroy. Yeah. I'm not even, I'm not even, the fact that you guys are even, can even think of what is next is impressive to me, so. Well, folks, I think that's about do it. I think that's about do it. Mm-hmm. I also think Not that's about good. do it. I think that's going to do it. You know what, I think it. that'll be about do it. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, here at 10 Very Big Books. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, if you didn't, sucks. Uh, anyway, AJ's gonna fill us in afterwards with his, their really good uh, after credit stuff. And that that's Josh it. has totally heard before. And I've, Josh has heard. And I'm never gonna remember it. All right, and that's it, goodbye. Hello, everybody. Producer AJ here, recovering from the novel coronavirus of 2019. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to give us your thoughts or feelings about this or any of our episodes, you can always email us 10verybigbooks at gmail.com, tweet us at 10verybigbooks, or you can head on over to our Discord, bit.ly slash Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in our show notes. Thank you to all of our wonderful patrons over on Patreon who got to hear the little radio bit uh, a day early. So if you'd like to financially support the show and get access to bits and some of our special episodes you can head on over to patreon.com slash 10 very big books that link is also in the show notes and as always thank you so very much to dan geyser for making our spectacular cover art you can follow him on twitter at a underscore w underscore dan g for the hottest nba second team takes and of course the wonderful music in today's episode including the remixed intro and outro tracks is by the one the only amaranthan from his album simulant rain which you can find along with his other music on bandcamp.com links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books will be back in two weeks on june 10th talking about chapters 11 and 12 of tola hounds Talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening.